Hello everyone, I'm T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, inviting you to stay tuned for these next 25 or 30 minutes of Bible study fellowship, a message today from the Word of God, and we'll be talking today in just a little bit about verbalizing or verbalizing memories. You know, we all have memories, perhaps memories of our childhood, memories that, uh, well, can go back years, and we want to talk about that just a little bit today on uh, on our program. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you're having a wonderful day thus far, and that the Lord is really, really and richly blessing blessing you. Right now, though, as we uh, as we begin today's program, I've got a musical selection I picked out for you today. I hope you'll enjoy. This is the Tally Trio on Pathlight. It's called the Broken Ones. With a raggedy, raggedy end. She said, Mama, look what I found in the neighbor's garbage can. Had a missing left arm and a right button eye hanging by a thread. She carried it gently up to her room and laid it on her bed with her other dog. up all black and blue Needle tracks in her left arm almost too weak to stand She says I'm lost and I need help as Maggie takes her hand and says come on in She loves the broken ones The ones that need a little patching up Everybody loved like she does There'd be a lot less broken ones If you call her an angel She'll be quick to say to you She's just doing Everybody love like he does There'd be a lot less broken 
How true it is. I'm sure that's when the Lord Jesus came into your life when you were a broken one. And I may be speaking to someone right now, and you are a broken one right now. Your life is somewhat shattered. Seems like everything has gone wrong. It seems like nothing is going right in your life right now. I want to remind you that Jesus Christ can fix everything. Oh, that don't mean everything's going to come up roses tomorrow. But what it does mean is he's going to give you the strength to take care of it. I remember reading one time about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and he besought the Lord three times to remove that. And, and the Lord said, no, Paul, I'm, I'm not going to remove that thorn. My grace is sufficient. Uh, the whole demeanor of Paul changed after that. And he said, wherefore, rather, will I glory in my infirmities. Now I ask you what changed? And the answer is is nothing really. The circumstance didn't change. The thorn didn't change. The hurt didn't change. But what changed was Paul's outlook. God gave him a brand new outlook and that's what he can do for you. He may choose to heal you. He may choose to work that miracle. He may choose to take your thorn away. That might be his sovereign will for your life. But whether he does or does not, his grace is sufficient and he will give you that grace. We're speaking today on verbalizing memories, and if you get an opportunity, turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 18. If you so, you can do so. You know, I was looking at some old pictures the other day, pictures of my childhood, pictures of relatives and friends, uh, many as I'm growing older now, who are no longer here with us. And I was sitting alone in my study, and I found myself verbalizing those memories. I looked at a picture of me back when I was just a kid wearing a cowboy suit and two shiny six shooters, uh, you know, and back in those days, little boys could do that. They didn't think it was strange at all. As a matter of fact, it was kind of strange if you didn't carry your cap pistols to uh, to school back in those days. But I remember looking at that picture and I thought to myself, I said, wow, that sure was a great cowboy suit. I, I remember it even to this day. Man, those were some great cap pistols that I had that mom and dad got for me. I said, looking at one Christmas photo, and I said, I remember that old car Dad used to drive. I, that was a picture of Dad standing out in front of a car. I remember that old car. I remember him working on that old car under the old shade tree. I remember that car so vividly. And it brought back all kinds of memories. You know, the past can be relived at least to some degree through memories. And memories can often be relived through pictures. Looking at old pictures from your past takes you back to that exact moment, perfectly captured forever in space and time. All the colors, if it happens to be a color photo, most of them were black and white. But still, you can visualize exactly those memories of things that went on years ago. Your mind wanders off, and slowly but surely you disappear into the stories of the past, stories that were held in your mind. Childhood, adolescence. Stories about love and happiness and friendship and heartache and loss. Sometimes too painful to relive. Sometimes you don't want to leave. Sometimes it's sadness and nostalgia and melancholy all mixed up together. And all of that is relived through pictures. Has looking at a picture ever made you verbalize a memory about someone? If I look at a picture of my dad, although he's been with the Lord many years now, I, I still often say, I sure miss you, Dad. Uh, many, uh, you know, actually, I say that many times a day. I sure do miss you, 
dad. I've said that before. Or I, th- I think of another loved one or friend, and I think about them. I said, you know, I, I, I sure do miss you. Uh, m- maybe it's, it's because of a food I'm eating or an odor I smell or whatever it might be that makes me think of someone else. It's kind of like burning uh, uh, leaves in the fall. I always think of grandma's house, you know, because she always burned her leaves in the fall. I've said before, when we're, uh, when we're thinking of folks, many times we visualize and we can even verbalize those memories. But as a Christian, when you verbalize memories, when I say, sure do miss you, Dad, when I say that, and am I crossing a line? Was I wrong to do that? Uh, you know, it's not only pictures, also cemeteries are places we might verbalize memories. They're unique places. They're somber and somber and normally quiet places, even if they're in the middle of a city. Many times these are awkwardly uncomfortable places for people. Others are drawn to them and they make regular visits to them. And kind of like a photograph, a cemetery is also a place of memories. What should you and I, as a believer in Christ Jesus, feel and think when we visit the gravesite of a loved one? Uh, Some Christians place flowers on the graves of their loved ones. Some visit very frequently. Some rarely visit at all. Some recall fond memories with a smile. Some weep every time they visit. Even perhaps after a period of years, they still shed a tear or two. Uh, Some attempt to speak to their loved ones or pray, thanking God for that person's influence over their lives. Some anticipate a grand reunion one day on the streets of glory. But but here's my question. Is there any bad theology around some of those practices and behind some of those practices? When does it become ancestor worship? When does it become a foolish waste of time? Should we buy flowers or or is that just a waste of money? Should we visit grave sites or is that just a waste of time? Should we go through our old photograph albums or is that just is that just absolutely we should be doing something more productive? You know, the Bible observes extended periods of mourning at someone's death. Also, some graves in the Bible were clearly marked and remembered for generations. Solomon said that, I'm quoting, it's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, Ecclesiastes 7.2. What should Christians try to accomplish when we perhaps make a visit to a graveside? You know, there are moments in your life and mine that signify a division between the past and future Time and generations, graduation from high school or college or marriage or a new job or the birth of a baby tells us that one season is over and a new season is beginning. But it seems to me that apart from our own conversion, probably the event that divides our past and future most decisively is a death of someone we love. That season is over in a way that perhaps is more absolute than all other seasonal endings. And you might say that a cemetery or memorial stone or a brass marker with a precious name written on it is like a large unavoidable signpost pointing in two different directions. Your past life with your loved one and your future life without your loved one. So what is the proper biblical attitude as you stand there beside that glaring signpost that is dividing your life? Are there unbiblical, unhealthy things that you could do at this signpost? Are there biblical and healthy things you could do at that graveside? Let me start by mentioning a few unbiblical, unhealthy things you could do in, uh, in that cemetery. For an example, an ongoing need for a deceased 
person to be back in your life. That would be unscriptural. For the believer, that void was designed to be filled by Jesus Christ. And when it's not, it's being expressed in an unhealthy and Christ-dishonoring ways. Now, the Bible does clearly say that there's a sense in which all members of the body of Christ need each other. Uh, There's no dishonor in that. It's no dishonor to Christ when we realize that other people are gifts from the Lord and are intended to represent Christ to us. 1 Corinthians 12, 21, uh, the Bible teaches us that. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need others. And it's not right uh, for you to say you don't need other people that God has designed and put in your life. And certainly it's fine to go back and remember those folks with fond memories because they had a role to play in helping you become the person you are now. But when God, in his providence, which is always just, wise, and good, always loving, Always God knows what's best. When God takes away a member of the body of Christ, a member of the family, God is reminding you that he has promised to supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Therefore, since he has chosen in his perfect will to remove a person from your life, then you have to believe. Now, this is hard. This is very hard. I want you to listen to me through because what I'm about to say is very hard. You have to believe that you no longer need this person anymore, at least not in the way you did before. Sure, without them, life may be harder, and there may be major adjustments. There may be a great challenge and great emotional scars, but you do not need them in your life to accomplish God's will in the future, not anymore. If you did, God would leave them there. God says, I will be your supply. I will meet your every need in Christ Jesus. If you needed this person to do my will, I would keep them in your life. But you do not. You do not. You may want them. You may enjoy their fellowship. And certainly you and I both may shed tears when they go away from us. But I'm telling you, if, they're, if these folks have gone on to glory with God, God is saying to you, you don't need them to do my will. Now, admittedly, this might be easier to understand if it's an elderly person dying of natural causes than for the death of a younger person, or perhaps if it was a suicide or someone uh, dying because a drunk driver hits them on the highway. I've got to admit, that's, that's kind of hard, but the truth still applies. So if, if our visit to the cemetery is an ongoing expression of, I need you and I can't live without you, that's an expression of distrust in God, and it doesn't honor the Lord, nor does it honor your loved one that's going on. Some other unscriptural examples might be coming to the cemetery to express anger at God. Feeling angry at the all-wise, all-good, all-knowing God is a sinful response to a loss. Or you might come to the cemetery to say, I need to talk to my loved one so urgently that I'm going to try to communicate with my loved one that's going on. Now, God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 18, our text verse 10 and 12, There shall not be found among you anyone that's an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. That that is someone who tries to communicate with the dead. God said that is an abomination. It's a sin to try to communicate with the dead. Or another form that this unfaithful, 
response might take would be coming to the cemetery to do penance for all the ways you can remember that you failed that person who has died. You feel guilty and you think perhaps if you show enough sorrow at the graveside, if you shed enough tears at the graveside, it'll make up for the wrongs that you did. And the problem with that is that Christ does not teach us to deal with our sins, our failures, that way. He understands our failures. He understands our feelings. We have some time of guilt. And believe me, every one of us at a, at a graveside of someone we loved might feel that way. We might feel a sense of failure. We're going to remember all the ways we could have loved so much better. Most of us will do that, and it's going to be natural to do that. But the solution to that painful problem of guilt is not more hours of penance in the cemetery, but more trust in the all-sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, and, and, and I must say this is my opinion. I don't think it's wrong to verbalize a feeling or an emotion. I don't think when I say, I miss you, Dad, which I probably say every day, I don't think it's wrong to, uh, to, to do that. But I do think it's wrong to consult the dead, ask for guidance from the dead, ask them to intercede for you, as some groups do, ask them to pray for you, or you to pray for them, to expect to hear from them or to speak to them directly. All these things are wrong. So those are a few of the ways that looking at an old photograph or coming to the cemetery might be unbiblical and unhealthy. But there are some healthy ways for you to respond. Can I share a couple with you very quickly? First off, when you come to the graveside or you look at that old photograph, it might be a time to weep. But there's no question that losing someone you love is a grievous hurt. Bidden or unbidden, the tears flow, and it's right that they do so, so long as they're not shed without hope. God says when you come to the, to the graveside, it's okay to sorrow, but don't sorrow without hope. Because you have hope in Jesus Christ. Assuming your loved one has died in Christ, assuming your loved one was a born-again child of God, you've got reason to hope. And the graveside is the most fitting place for along with your tears for you to acknowledge that hope. Secondly, you might come to the graveside to come to be sobered by your own mortality. Contemplate your own inevitable death at the cemetery. As the psalmist says, we should get a heart of wisdom by numbering our days. That's what it says in the book of Psalms, chapter 90, verse number 12. Few things will blow the fog of worldliness away like the loss of a loved one. So look at your pictures or come to the cemetery and let your loss teach you the wisdom for the, the brief life that you have that remains because one day, one day we will all depart this earth. If Jesus tarries his coming for the rapture of the church, we're all going to die, every single one of us. Contemplate your own mortality. Thirdly, when we come to the graveside, we might come to rekindle the fires of resurrection hope. Let the graveside stoke your hope of being with Christ as you stand beside the grave of the body that will decay. Lift your eyes up to heaven and believe the promise of what is that which is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory according to 1 Corinthians 15, 43. Furthermore, part of that resurrection hope is that assuming your loved one died in Christ, that one day they will come back to this very spot. This hallowed ground that you stand on right now, right beside the graveside of your loved one, if they died in Christ, they're coming back, and they're coming back here for a glorious resurrection. Just as the women went to the tomb of Christ, this will be the spot, the very spot, the very plot of ground of your loved one's resurrection. In Christ, they're coming back, and they're coming back here 
And that makes it holy ground. Next, you might come to meditate or to think or to ponder or to reason. What can I learn from this loss? What would I have done differently? How might this and should this affect the behavior that I might have toward those who are still here? It might be too late to tell this loved one that I cared for them. It might be too late to minister to them, but, but there's, some, there's many still here that I can do that too. What are the implications of this void in my life for my future? What can I learn about God in Christ and about salvation and the meaning and purpose of life from this painful vantage point that I have here looking over the, the freshly dug grave of a loved one? It's a rare and precious moment, and there's a lot to learn there, if you will. Next, you come to express honor and respect. Was, was it not a high privilege to have been their child? That's one of the reasons I miss my dad so much. It was such a privilege and honor to be a son. Was it not a high privilege to have been their friend or their co-worker or their spouse or their daughter or their son or an admirer, perhaps from a distance of this deceased person? I visited the gravesides of some great preachers. I honestly never knew them, but they certainly influenced and affected my life for God. I want to pay tribute to the value that this person had in my life and still has in my life. I owe them so much. But by my presence here, I'm saying I honor them. I respect them. And even more than that, I pay tribute to them and to the God who gave me the privilege of knowing them. And then you come to the graveside to give thanks. It is virtually inevitable that we will feel thankfulness welling up in our hearts to those we loved and lost. And we would like them to know this. But we know that trying to communicate directly with the dead is a sin. And so all of our thanks are offered up to God. It might even be proper, and I'm not making a suggestion here. I'm just simply uh, discussing as, as a fellow believer. It might even be proper to ask that should it be God's will, He might inform our redeemed up in glory just how much we love them and how much we honor them and how much they made an impact on our life. If not, we'll be able to tell them ourselves one day. But mainly, we're overflowing with thankfulness to God for their life and what it meant for us and still means to us. And what a great place to say and feel it as you stand beside the graveside of a loved one who's gone out into eternity. And then finally, you might decide to come to the graveside to be inspired, to be made hopeful by the promises of God that He will be with you from, from this day on. That he'll help you, he'll strengthen you, he'll uphold you on the right hand of his righteousness, Isaiah 41.10. He will sanctify to us all of our sorrow. He will make us useful in the days to come for the good of others and for his glory and for our own joy. As you walk away from the graveside of a, of a loved one, uh, you realize your life has changed. But believe this, that God is going to do great and mighty things through your life. And this chapter right here, as sad as it is, will be a chapter that God can use in your life for his glory and for your benefit. And also think about the fact that your loved one, if they died in Christ, they're in glory right now, so they wouldn't come back even if they could. Finally, as I've said so many times, 
I like to preach from the overflow of what God's doing in my life. I, I don't preach a lot of theological sermons. I did when I was young, but now I find I just I just want to tell you what God's telling me. I want to tell you what God's doing in my life. I, I like to preach from the overflow of what God's teaching me and showing me and doing through my life. I like to call it preaching from the overflow. So one of the reasons I focused on this was that I know that as I age, I will likely lose recollection of some special memories. My memory today is not as good as it, as it was when I was younger, and it's probably going to get worse. For most all of us, memories will fade with time. They will, even if you're young. If you haven't thought about a memory in years, it won't be as vivid or strong as it used to be. By not visiting that memory, you're telling your brain that it's not important, and soon you may forget altogether. Often we need external cues to retrieve memories like a picture, like a place, like a sound, or maybe just a trip, a trip to some hallowed ground where a loved one's body has been laid. Many of your old memories and mine, sometimes even the hurtful ones, don't need to be forgotten. They don't need to be cast aside because they reveal God's blessing upon your life. Often, as soon as we set foot on dry land, we forget how God guided us through the storm. We forget how tough those waves were. We forget how hard that wind was blowing. Wow, the sun's come out now. Oh, everything's okay. And we forget about that. But God has given us so many blessings. It's easy. It's easy for us to lose track of those blessings because God has given us so, so very many, so very many. But I remind you, he's blessed us for a purpose. And we're called to respond, to bring Him glory and to testify to His goodness. He wants us to never forget the story of how He transformed our lives. And one way to do that is by verbalizing memories. By verbalizing memories. By thinking and sometimes thinking out loud about the blessings of your life and the blessings of the people God has put in your life. You praise Him and glorify Him. Thank you, Lord, for the dad that I had and the mom that I had. They're with you now, but thank you, Lord. Thank you for the friends I've had over the years. Thank you for the mentors I've had over the years that's helped shape my life. Thank you for the church members and the deacons and others that have put up with me over the years. Thank you, Lord. They put up with my infirmities and my shortcomings, and they forgave when I needed forgiving. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you for my wife, my children, my friends. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you as we go back and reflect on these things. We can verbalize our memories of the past, and it can help us not only to recall, but it can help us not to forget. You ever do that? You ever verbalize your memories? Oh, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, you've been so good to me. Uh, you say, well, that's praying. Well, there's also verbalizing your memories. And sometimes we can even do that with people as we go to the graveside. You're not praying to that person. No, 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 that would, that would, that would definitely be wrong. You're, you're not praying to them. Uh, you're not uh, asking them to intercede for you. No, 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 that, that would be wrong. But what you are doing is just acknowledging in your own life, thank you, Lord, for this person. I love this person so much. I appreciate this person so much. This person was such a blessing to me, Lord. I want to glorify you for it. I love you, Dad. And thank you, Father, for making this man, this man here, my earthly father, who set forth an example of my heavenly father. 
God bless you, friends. We'll see you next week. T.D. Worthington here saying, may God's richest blessings be upon you and yours as you continue to walk with our Lord. Thank you.